be five minutes. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn Matthew 28. Matthew 28. First things first, this is coming off, okay? <laughs> I did it as long as I could. Um, Matthew 28, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And this is the uh, climax of those miracles. In fact, all the miracles find their fulfillment and meaning in this one right here. It is why not just that we gather this morning... We gather every Sunday morning to celebrate and to commemorate and to vindicate the one risen from the dead. Matthew 28, we want to read the first 10 verses. And if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The evangelist Matthew writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. And he said, Come, see the place where uh, he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So he departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to, to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father, we always ask as we gather that as we open up your word, you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our hands and our feet and our mouth, that we would go in obedience to Christ. Will you do that for us this morning? May I decrease so that you can increase. Name your son, we pray. Amen. May be seated. There is a series of memes that have been going around the internet for years that I love, I think, every single one that I see. It's the, you had one job meme. I don't know if you've seen any of these. I'll give you just a few examples from my own entertainment, right? Here's one, right? He had one job, make a straight line. This is clearly a state worker who did this. Actually, you could probably point to a state worker for, for each of these. Or another one is, is long yellow things, right? That, that, is, that is a public school student in the city, right? That is not in the country. You can't blame that on us from Moen County. We would, we, do, we would have known what those were, probably. Uh, oh, I love this one. You don't matter, give up. <laughs> I, just, I think that's what it says, right? Right? You, you have... One job, one job, right? And, and surely you can knock out that one job. Well, can I give you the, the ultimate example of someone who had one job and they made a huge mess of it? His first name is, is uh, Dionysius, and we won't even pretend that I can, I can pronounce his last name. He was a Scythian monk, and in the 6th century, he was challenged and, and called and, and commissioned by the Pope to rearrange our calendar. His job was to start a, a new calendar on the day of Jesus' birth, or the year of Jesus' birth. And this is why we have today B.C., which, which used to mean before Christ, and then A.D., which in Latin means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So, in theory, this is the year 2022 after the year that Christ was born. He had one job. And we're pretty sure he got it wrong. 
In fact, most scholars today, and, and I think it's pretty evident in the, his, in, the, in the evidence and history we have, that he was off by a few years. It's likely Jesus wasn't born on 0 AD, the way we typically think of it. He was probably born between 5 to 7 B.C. And there's a lot of reasons why, why we, we think that. But regardless, you had one job, Dionysius, and he got it horrendously wrong. But I want to push back on something. Maybe the problem wasn't Dionysus's ability to do basic math. Rather, maybe he was shooting for the wrong dates. You see, he rightly wanted us to see that history really began at the birth of Jesus. There's some real truth to that. But can I tweak that a little bit? I think history really began. And new history really began, not when Christ was born but when Christ was risen from the dead. Maybe we should consider that zero year of our Lord. Notice that this text begins with, with new life here. Um, oh, I forgot this one, World War XI, okay? I, uh, see, you public schoolers are like, I, well, I don't get it, I don't get it, right? The years are right. Uh, new life here in verses 1 to 7. Jesus has died and his closest associates uh, have, have abandoned him and only two people are left to mourn him. At least in Matthew's account here are both named Mary. Now this is significant because if you compare the four Gospels, Matthew more than the others mentions the crowds following Jesus. In fact, you could combine Mark, Luke, and John and, and they still, the number of times they mention crowds still do not match the number of times that Matthew mentions the crowds following Jesus. For example, early in his ministry in chapter 4, he went throughout Galilee and Decapolis and all that. And what do you find? Large crowds coming. He's healing everyone every disease, every sickness, and everything else. In chapter 13, it begins the kingdom parables. What is it you find? Great crowds gathered to him, and he began to teach them in parables. In chapter 15, you, you, you see that the great crowds came to him, bringing to him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed him. Or most, most famously, we looked at uh, not too long ago, and that is... Uh, or last week, actually, is Palm Sunday, chapter 21, and crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now the crowds are gone. The hope that Jesus had brought seems diminished. And all that is left are these two women to mourn him. The disciples are in hiding. The crowds have dispersed. Yet these two brave women... March towards a tomb to anoint the deceased body of Jesus. Now we say that they are brave, and they were brave. Here you have two women in mourning who are armed with, with a, a, the oil to anoint Jesus post-mortem. And somehow they have to figure out how to get past two guards and a giant boulder. But they are relentless. They are going to go nevertheless. Can, can I just add a footnote here? This is one of the great evidences for the historic physical resurrection of Jesus. In the ancient world, women were not considered uh, liable witnesses. And so you would never put a woman on trial as a witness because their word wasn't trusted. And that's wrong, of course. But in the ancient world, that is, that is how, how they practice things. But what does the Gospels do? They say the first people to see the risen Savior, to come to the empty tomb, were women. And we believe them, not just because we saw them alive, but because this is how 
it actually happened. Nevertheless, notice what is unique in Matthew is that Matthew wants us to see the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the creation of the world. Right there in the first verse, it was the dawn of the first day of the week when new light had dawned and it was the first day of the week. And what is the first day of creation? What does God do? He said, let there be light and there was light. So what you have then is Jesus resting literally on the day of rest, Saturday, and he's in the tomb. And in the first day of the week, a new week, a new creation has commenced. If you still don't believe me, you can look at these verses. You can see emphasis on light. The angel comes from heaven. He is bright and he is light. And, and, and what we see then is that the light of the world has broken through the darkness of the world through both death by being raised from the dead and emptying the tomb. This is creation language. The resurrection inaugurates a new creation. Thus, from this moment on, everything is different. Death is defeated. Sin is conquered. Satan is crushed. Everything is new. And hasn't this been the message of all the miracles we've looked at since the first of the year? When people came to Jesus with the blind, the lame, and the crippled, and, and, and they, they, they encountered Jesus, they left not just physically healed, they left as different people. Thus, the resurrection serves as the climax of Jesus' ministry and the climax of, of every miracle. He has demonstrated once and for all that he is the Lord of the cosmos. He is the Lord of the seas. He is Lord over sickness and disease, over demons and the devil, over death. He is Lord over it all. And Scripture tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection meaning that those who come to him by faith shall be raised themselves. And this means, first of all, we are raised spiritually. That is to say that embracing Christ by faith means new life, salvation, and transformation. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, where, where he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in the death, and or that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We've been raised. Same thing in 2 Corinthians where, where he, he says, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that is true today. Those who come to Christ are given new identities as new creatures with new lives. Our history, we could say, begins the day we embrace Christ risen from the dead. But not only that, that spiritual resurrection means we await a physical resurrection. The day will come when the dead in Christ will be raised physically. We do not await in Christ a disembodied existence floating on clouds as chubby angels and, and playing harps. I have no musical skill. I do not want to do that for eternity. Rather, what we are given is a new heavens, a new earth, new bodies. We are new in Christ. What we see here, Christ risen from the dead, is new life. Not only that, is that we see new news. Notice here, Jesus did not come to bring morality. He came to declare news. And the news is that Christ is risen from the dead. I think it should be obvious to us all that good news usually produces great joy. For example, in 
in April, early April of 2013. I still remember where I was. The lights were off in the living room. The TV was, was on and blaring, and I was watching something I'd never see in my life. The University of Louisville Cardinals win the national championship. And if you tell me that didn't happen, your fake news or your disinformation or whatever term you want to use, depending on which side of the aisle you are on. But I remember I got so excited when I realized they're really going to do it. They're really going to do it. But I couldn't scream and shout like I wanted to because my toddler son didn't stay up with me like he said he would. It's midnight. A little three-year-old can stay up. He's fine, right? They're winning the championship. Out. Haven't forgiven him since. Or I remember when, 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 when uh, we... My wife first got pregnant, right? And, and we, we told my parents first because this was their first grandchild, which is why they, they love me more than my siblings. And, and so we, we, we had a big dinner and, and we gave a gift. And when my mother in particular realized what we were telling her, she started to dance like a Pentecostal in an ephod. And she got so excited, right? Just dancing and singing and kicking her heels and, and all of that sort. Why? Because good news produces great joy. And we would assume the same thing here. We are here today because the good news, the resurrection of Jesus, should produce great joy in those who claim to have faith in Christ. But what, what do we see here? What's the predominant emotion of the text? Not joy. Fear. They're scared to death. In fact, notice verse 4, the guards are so frightened, they become like dead men, which is ironic, isn't it? Because the living guarding the tomb are described as dead, while the dead man who walks out is alive. Not only that, verse 5, the women are described to be afraid. After all, that's why the angel says, do not be afraid. In verse 6, the the message is uh, frightful in of itself. He is not here. When I was a little boy... I didn't talk a whole lot. I've been doing my best to make up for that. So hope you don't have lunch plans. But, but, but I, I didn't talk a whole lot. And, and, but my brother and sister did talk a whole lot. And there wasn't room for me. And, and so mom and dad would do this game. We would get in the car. My brother and sister, they just chatty, 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 chatty. And mom and dad would say, boy, Kyle's awfully quiet back here. I guess we left him at home. And then I would say, no, I'm back here. These rugrats won't give me space to talk. And so, so that's usually how it went. Until one day, my brother and sister, chatty, 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 and mom and dad says, boy, Kyle sure is quiet back there. We must have left him at home. By which my brother and sister say, you did. (laughs) And they were true. It was true. They left me at the house. I was a little guy. I vaguely remember this. I was a little guy, right? And now, now that news, he is not here, was not good news, right? Think about it. You've come to anoint a body. This is the part of the mourning process. Your life has been upended. And an angel, whatever is going on there, says, oh, don't be afraid. He's not here. Don't be afraid. What do you mean don't be afraid? Something's happened. What is going on here? So the emotion of fear is all over the place. But, but the irony is this frightful news is good news. When the angel removed the stone in verse 2, we, the reader, need to see that he's not letting Jesus out. He who can conquer death can handle a little stone. Rather, he's letting the women, and thus the reader, in. Don't you see? He's not here. The empty tomb secures that Jesus is the Lord of the angels, Savior of men, and the conqueror of death. 
Notice he says that he is not here, but here's the rest of it. He has risen. And not just risen, but, that, but I can tell you where he is. And he is waiting to meet with you in the flesh. He is alive. You shall see him. He's not a disembodied spirit or a ghost. He is alive. And so, verse 8, they flee. Notice this, with both fear and great joy. Now that is an emotional mess. Can you imagine they're trying to, trying to process exactly what it is that is going on here? But notice what Jesus does. When they encounter the risen Savior, he addresses both emotions. First of all, you see it there in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. By the way, that word fear and that exhortation not to be afraid is found throughout the Gospel of Matthew, often associated with his miracles. For example, in chapter 14, it says Jesus spoke to them when he's walking on the water. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. It's me, right? Chapter 17, uh, uh, Jesus came and touched him, said, rise. Don't have any more fear. Do not fear. He says it again here. Why? Because the miracles are pointing us to this moment. In Christ, there is to be no fear. He is risen from the dead. And if death is something we don't need to be afraid of, what else is there left that can harm us? But notice it isn't just he addresses their fear. He said, you've got to get rid of that. Rather, he blesses them and encourages them to embrace joy. It's there in verse 9. If you've got ESV, Jesus says, greetings. If you've got the King James, I love it. It says, all hail. Man, I'm going to start greeting people like that, right? <laughs> just, just next time the choir stands up, all hail, right? That's, uh, that's how we can fix that, right? I love that. That is good King James English. The word for greetings, and it is a greeting, is the Greek word rejoice. Can, can, can I show it to you? Here in, in Matthew chapter 2, right? When, when they saw the star, the wise men, what did they do? They rejoice. It's the same word Jesus uses here. In chapter 5, rejoice and be glad, right? This is the context of the Beatitudes, to live the blessed life. Rejoice and be glad, your reward is great in heaven. So, so what the Jews did is they took the word rejoice and they used it as, as, a, uh, as a command to rejoice. They also used it as a greetings, rejoice. So what Jesus says here is, rejoice, do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. You don't get more simple and yet more profound than that, especially after years of us as Americans and as a people being told to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. Jesus is risen from the dead. Rejoice. All has been conquered. Your sin can be wiped away. Death is, the sting of death is removed. The head of the ancient serpent crushed. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. Because Christ is alive. Surrounded by death and sorrow as we so often are, we are a people of hope. For Christ is alive. And though we might struggle in this broken, fallen world, we are a people of peace. For Christ is alive. Surrounded by consumerism, we are a people of contentment. For Christ is alive. And surrounded by despair, we are a people who are loved and freely give of our love. For Christ is alive. You see, this is new news. This is good 
news. And let it shape who we really are. I mentioned earlier that there are those who had one job and they failed miserably. Every once in a while, except for among state workers, people will have one job and they'll do it brilliantly. Can I give you just a few fun examples of this? Here's uh, one. Uh, the saluting of the troops with uh, Coke cans. That is, that is cool, right? That dude, if he doesn't have an art degree, he'd better be given one. He had one job and he nailed it, right? Let me give you one of my favorites right here. Batman. I don't know what they're selling there, but it's Batman. And if you don't like that this, then you and I probably can't be friends, right? I mean, I mean uh, I'll find someone else for you. But it's, it's Batman. If you walk in and you saw a giant head of Batman, you, you're buying whatever it is they're selling. And this, you, you went Christmas shopping right here. You get everything you need. My absolute favorite that I found in the five minutes I spent looking for these is this one right here. It's Mario, right? <laughs> Color the pipes under the sink and turn it into the Super Mario Brothers, right? That is, that is awesome. I don't care who you are. Again, if you don't find that awesome, then you and I just won't be friends. Um, I'm sorry. That, that is a bridge too far from me. I'm sorry. The, you know, Jesus will love you, but I don't know if I can. But, uh, but these are great examples of having one simple job and you just nail it. So too, Jesus had one job. He didn't come merely to dispense wisdom, though he gave it. He didn't come merely to be humanitarian, though he he was generous. He came simply to save. He came to suffer humanity's worst and to overcome it all, ushering in a new age. And by granting new life to all who come to him by faith. And when he walked out of that tomb, he nailed it. He nailed it. So too today, over 2,000 years later, we can say that we are given new life, not because we are good or because we are worthy or because we've done things, but simply because Christ is risen from the dead. New creation, new life. That is good news. I don't know everyone here, and I ask that if if you have never embraced the hope that is in Jesus, would you come by faith? Will you come and say, I believe that Christ died for my sins, was raised for my righteousness, and I put my trust and my life into his hands. Will you come this morning and do that? Or maybe you're here today, and you're here, let's be honest, because it's Easter Sunday, and that's the one Sunday you can't miss. I'm going to ask, Will you too come and say, today's the day that new life begins, that I embrace that the gospel is indeed good news. Or maybe you're here and you're struggling with this or struggling with that and warring against sin and life is a mess. Would you come too? Would you embrace the good news that Jesus is risen from the dead? Will you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I